Hey guys, today with the Persons with Lived Experience podcast, we have inspiring stories for unprecedented times with Dixie and Zona. Um, yeah, so I started being trafficked. Well, I call it getting in the game. Um, so I got into the game when I was 15 years old, um, coming from homelessness at 14. Um, and then I stayed into the game literally a week before my 25th birthday. So about 10 years, I was in that life. This podcast contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take precautions for yourself. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dixie, and I'm all about joy, justice, and fair trade fashion. I'm an anti-trafficking advocate, mom of many, and passionate worshiper. And I'm Zona Garrett. I'm a writer, speaker, a person with lived experience of human trafficking and homelessness, and, of course, a tiny house enthusiast and a serial foodie. Our podcast guest today is Kia Duplay. She's the executive director of Free to Dream Big. Welcome, Kia. Thank you. All right. We are so excited to hear your story. So, um, Kia, can you tell us uh, more about your lived experience? Um, Yeah. So I started being trafficked. Well, I call it getting in the game. Um, So I got into the game when I was 15 years old, um, coming from homelessness at 14. Um, And then I stayed into the game literally a week before my 25th birthday. So about 10 years, I was in that life. Um, So I know the ins and outs and all that stuff. Um, So I check off all the boxes, juvenile justice, foster care, adult justice systems, and all of that. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Um, so with that, like, can you walk us through kind of like how you ended up homeless at 14? Um, yeah, so I came from a really kind of chaotic home. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just got to the point where, um, I was getting ready to have a major back surgery and my mom just really didn't know how to care for me at that time. Um, and not to slander my mom she's doing much better than where she was Mm -hmm. at that time um but when I was growing up we were just not in the position where I was being properly cared for Mm -hmm. um and all my needs were being met and so I quickly started getting bounced around from like shelter to shelter um and things like that and ultimately um that kind of what is what pushed me into kind of trying to figure out things on my own way before I was ready as a child. Right. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's definitely not good, but we know that, um, you know, people make a lot of progress mm-hmm. in the time since then. So um, of course we know that um, no shade, <laughs> no shade to what was in the past, but right, um, absolutely. yeah, I have a similar experience for myself where it's like, you know, I don't want to speak negatively of my mother now. So sure. (laughs) Um, So when you were bouncing around uh, with foster care and and different homes and things like that, um, did you have a good caseworker that was able to work with you? 
No, um, and that was part of the barrier. Um, a lot of people think that when you get placed into foster care, you automatically go to this home or you automatically get adopted or things like that. And that is really not the case. Um, back when I was in foster care, juvenile hall was being used as a placement. And you would think like oh 10 goodness. years later, 15 years later, um, times would change and things would progress. But as I started working with the youth that are currently experiencing trafficking or foster care, um, I started to realize that that has not changed at all. Um, and our, our youth homeless population right now is still through the roof. Um, so it's a common misconception to think that um, once you get placed into foster care, you have somewhere to go. Um, because oftentimes, especially being a teenager, um, you do not. And so there's times where you're kind of, your social worker kind of doesn't know what to do. Um, there's a lot of lack of knowledge. I wouldn't say they're not good people because a lot of people's intentions are good, but they lack the resources needed to care for all the caseloads that they get. And then they're overworked and underpaid. Um, and just the number of foster kids are, it was high when I was in foster care and now it's just through the roof um, wow. to this day. Mm -hmm. So it's a really big issue. Yeah. yeah. Really big. Yeah. Um, so were you able to like stay in the same school or the same school district area? No. Um, quickly, once I got placed into foster care, I quickly moved schools. Um, and then my last two years of high school, I was bounced around a lot and so I was never really in a stable type of school um, for those last two years. Mm -hmm. So would you say that that was five or more schools? Yeah definitely. <laughs> okay wow when you think about it when you're like starting out and you're like trying to learn something and you think about you know how much um, the curriculum is based off of you being there for the whole year um, that sounds like it was very disruptive. Yes. Um, and thank goodness, um, before those two years came, the last two years of high school came, um, I was pretty far advanced um, because mm -hmm. the school that I did go to and was stable at for a long period of time, I was able to like take AP courses and I was able to like progress and take extra classes, um, not even knowing or not even like even preparing myself to be bounced around but ultimately it worked out for me um in that case but that's me getting lucky um mm -hmm. to be quite frank with you because oftentimes when someone is placed into foster care they're not in an advanced position mm -hmm. um and like you said that that whole year would matter for sure right yeah, no, it is really great that you were able to take those advanced classes because I know a lot of times, too, um, those advanced classes come with extra cost that isn't yeah. allowed for with the foster care system as well. Yeah. So, well, we're very glad that you were able to kind of work through those different things. But during that time, what would you say were the biggest barriers for you to stabilization? Um, so I know the ins and outs and all that stuff. Um, so I check off all the boxes, juvenile justice, foster care, adult justice systems, and all of that. Sure. Yeah. Wow. 
Um, so with that, like, can you walk us through kind of like how you ended up homeless at 14? Um, yeah, so I came from a really kind of chaotic home. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just got to the point where, um, I was getting ready to have a major back surgery and my mom just really didn't know how to care for me at that time. Um, and not to slander my mom she's doing much better than where she was mm -hmm. at that time um but when I was growing up we were just not in the position where I was being properly cared for mm -hmm. um and all my needs were being met and so I quickly started getting bounced around from like shelter to shelter um and things like that and ultimately um that kind of what is what pushed me into kind of trying to figure out things on my own way before I was ready as a child. Right. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's definitely not good, but we know that, um, you know, people make a lot of progress mm -hmm. in the time since then. So, um, of course we know that, um, no shade, <laughs> no shade to what was in the past, but, right, um, absolutely. yeah, I have a similar experience for myself where it's like, you know, I don't want to speak negatively of my mother now. So sure. <laughs> um, so when you were bouncing around uh, with foster care and, and different homes and things like that, um, did you have a good caseworker that was able to work with you? No. Um, and that was part of the barrier. Um, a lot of people think that when you get placed into foster care, you automatically go to this home or you automatically get adopted or things like that. And that is really not the case. Um, back when I was in foster care, juvenile hall was being used as a placement. And you would think like oh 10 goodness. years later, 15 years later, um, times would change and things would progress. But as I started working with the youth that are currently experiencing trafficking or foster care, um, I started to realize that that has not changed at all. Um, and our, our youth homeless population right now is still through the roof. Um, so it's a common misconception to think that um, once you get placed into foster care, you have somewhere to go. Um, because oftentimes, especially being a teenager, um, you do not. And so there's times where your kind your social worker kind of doesn't know what to do. Um, there's a lot mm -hmm. of lack of knowledge. I wouldn't say they're not good people because a lot of people's intentions are good, but they lack the resources needed to care for all the caseloads that they get. And then they're overworked and underpaid. Um, and just the number of foster kids are, it was high when I was in foster care and now it's just through the roof um, wow. till this day. Mm -hmm. So it's a really big issue. Yeah. A yeah. really big. Yeah. Um, so were you able to like stay in the same school or the same school district area? No. Um, quickly, once I got placed into foster care, I quickly moved schools. Um, and then my last two years of high school, I was bounced around a lot and so I was never really in a stable type of school um, for those last two years. Mm -hmm. So would you say that that was five or more schools? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. Wow. When you think about it, when you're like starting out and you're like trying to learn something and you think about, 
you know, how much um, the curriculum is based off of you being there for the whole year. Um, that sounds like it was very disruptive. Yes. Um, and thank goodness um, before those two years came, the last two years of high school came, um, I was pretty far advanced um, because mm-hmm. the school that I did go to and was stable at for a long period of time, I was able to like take AP courses and I was able to like progress and take extra classes, um, not even knowing or not even like even preparing myself to be bounced around but ultimately it worked out for me um in that case but that's me getting lucky um Mm -hmm. to be quite frank with you because oftentimes when someone is placed into foster care they're not in an advanced position Mm -hmm. um and like you said that that whole year would matter for sure right Yeah, no, it is really great that you were able to take those advanced classes because I know a lot of times, too, um, those advanced classes come with extra cost that isn't allowed for with the foster care system as well. Yeah. So, well, we're very glad that you were able to kind of work through those different things. But during that time, what would you say were the biggest barriers for you to stabilization? Bring Freedom's live anti-trafficking inspiration event is coming up on November 18th and 19th. Sign up for the All for One Challenge today. You don't want to miss this. This podcast is sponsored by Bring Freedom. For more information on how to prevent and end human trafficking, please visit bringfreedom.org. Um. Well, I guess barrier number one was I was a kid. Um, mm-hmm. And so I didn't have like an ID. I couldn't put a hotel over my own head. Like you, it was times where I had to sleep on the streets just because I had no access to anything um, being a minor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it comes down to like placements, I was often placed in a group home. Um, so I was being recruited out of the group homes that I was in. Um, there was a lack of family sense, which kind of made things even more difficult because, you know, every child wants a parent, everybody wants like a mom or a dad and things like that. Um, and when you're in foster care, you just don't have that genuine connection or that figure in your life. Um, and so there was just like a lot of barriers that came with that mind state um oftentimes I was pushed back into trafficking just to be just to survive um it was like I had to rely on abusers because they were older they had IDs they were able to put a roof over my head at least I could shower um Mm -hmm. I could get food um and all the basic literally the basic necessities that a child would need to just live um my abusers were providing that for me. So um, it did like life was a barrier to like to keep it so frank. Um, life was just the barrier for me, every aspect of the way. And then um, like how we were talking about juvenile hall being a placement. Well, now I have this criminal record where you would think that because I was trafficked, um, because the system knew I was trafficked, it wasn't a secret at all. 
um, you you would think that I would be treated like a victim, um, like how you see on uh, Law and Order and SVC, SV, SVU or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they you see the police, they bust in the door and they like, you're safe now, you're safe, and they give you like the blanket and all that cool stuff, and you know, you go get the rape kit and all of that. That never happened in my case. Um, wow. I was automatically mm-hmm. taken to juvenile hall. Now I have this record now I'm being criminalized um never once was was my trafficking addressed until I was an adult um Mm -hmm. and I started seeking that type of help and letting people know like hey I know what's happening to me is not okay Mm -hmm. but who is going to support me in this situation um and so yeah ultimately like life life was a barrier like those Mm -hmm. are trying to get through life as a child not having any life skills I didn't know how to wash my own laundry I didn't know how to Mm -hmm. do anything on my own um right and then also as a result of being a victim I was a criminal um Mm -hmm. and treated as such so yeah it was very difficult so I know that this might be difficult to talk about so can you explain how um, kids are recruited out of the um, group homes and out of the uh, juvenile detention centers? Yes. Um, so typically um, there's another youth who has probably been indoctrinated into the game a lot longer than the person that they are recruiting. Um, and traffickers teach um how to pry on vulnerabilities. So mm-hmm. like I said, if there's a, any type of lack of need, like, if you need something and there's a lack of that, um, most traffickers know how to pinpoint that and they teach their victims how to also pinpoint that. Um, and a lot of times it's not that the person, like, for example, I was recruited by a lot of, um, young, young females, the same, about the same age as me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so Mm -hmm. their intentions weren't to be, Oh, I'm an abuser. They were just as, like they lacked the same knowledge as I lacked you know Mm -hmm. it was a lifestyle it was a way of of survival and so in in our minds it was this person understands me let me go make this my family in Mm -hmm. reality it was a recruitment tactic that traffickers ultimately push down to their people so that's where you get the bottom girl or you know mm-hmm. the bottom b word and things like that um and so when when we were recruited um a lot of the times it was over the stockholm syndrome trauma bonding mm-hmm. um and not even like their that's not their intentions but um it ultimately happened that way we were all kids mm-hmm. yeah Yeah. So one of the things that a lot of times people I think have a misconception about is that you, um, that it is other, you know, people that are similar in age, that are in similar experiences that are um, recruiting. And like I said, out of that survival mode mentality. So I'm not, you know, definitely not blaming. I understand. I also know that there have been quite a few rings where they're required to recruit. Mm-hmm. That it right. becomes yeah. a requirement in order to um, protect themselves. Yes, very much so. Yes, all the time. Um, it, that is also used as a survival mechanism, yes. 
So in these situations, as you're, you know, you're being offered, you know, things that you need, whether that's, you know, a place to sleep, a place to shower, um, food, um, you know, just, just the minimum of things that are, you know, necessary for, to live. Um, what was that, what did that look like as you were being suddenly pushed into these other activities that you were not maybe comfortable with and not, not used to? Um, so I wouldn't say that I was not comfortable. It was, it was new to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I came from a place where abuse was normalized. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I got indoctrinated to the game, I quickly dissociated myself from what was happening to me. Um, I learned to master the mind of dissociation very early in age. So when it was happening, it was easy for me, and this is just in my case, um, it was easy for me to place my mind somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was recruited, um, the first time that I ever got taken by a pimp, um, it was more of a this person is going to provide. And I always knew that nothing in life was free. And I think this is still a narrative that goes around is nothing in life is free. You have to work hard, um, pull yourself up by your bootstraps type of mentality. Mm -hmm. And so as a kid, knowing that super young, it was like, well, I have to work. Well, I have to do this. Well, I have to do that learning the way to honestly justify my victimization um, and justify what was happening to me um, early, early on at at a very young age. Yeah, I didn't know that. um, Well, I knew that what was happening to me wasn't supposed to. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I learned how to justify it in so many different, very toxic ways that took years of therapy to get out of. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I definitely understand, especially from the dissociation side of things where, um, you know, it becomes matter of fact, you know, there isn't really emotion involved in it, but at the same time, it's really hard when you're stuck in that to see another way or to see a way out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so how many times would you say that you were able to extract yourself from um, a trafficker before you were able to finally actually get free? Um, I ran plenty of times. I, it, it's dangerous to, to try to run away. It's really, really dangerous, especially if a trafficker knows like where your family lives or mm-hmm. knows like personal things about you um it's hard it's really really hard um and I I definitely ran multiple times but because I was in a situation where I was homeless and I was fending for myself and like I said I didn't have IDs or documentation to do really anything on my own um I was ultimately forced back into the lifestyle um in numerous occasions um And so, yeah, the the attempt to flee was was there multiple times. Um, I can name maybe at minimum 
10 times where I've tried to flee Mm -hmm. um, that were just unsuccessful. And I just, I felt like I had to go back. It was a revolving door Um, Mm -hmm. or the threats came in um, that, you know, were, they were legitimate threats and I had Mm -hmm. to take them very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if I did run to the police, it was, you're not a victim. Like, you're you you're bad you what you're mm-hmm. doing is bad um and not treating me as a victim and that's what I was I was a victim in every way shape or form mm-hmm. um especially being a child um there's no such thing as a child prostitute there's no such thing as a child choosing that lifestyle um, exactly and so for me to be put pushed into that and having officers you know I've had an officer rape me I've had officers Mm. like abuse me um and become basically the trafficker um and so I was never really protected in any way shape or form and so um yeah when you I, I go back to when you lack those needs like that need of protection you go back to what it looks like in the best way like it's like choosing the lesser evils Mm -hmm. in that moment sure no I definitely understand that um so in in that process what um I guess can you can you tell us how you finally were able to um get out of the game yes um so I connected with an agency by the name of Cass and they were my saviors. Um, mm. I had a really, really, really great case manager who, for the first time ever, acknowledged me as a victim um, and gave me the tools that I needed to survive. So um, she connected me with a really great um housing place that was safe for me um she helped me learn coping skills so that when I felt like I needed to run or I got into any type of fight flight or freeze mode um like she gave me coping skills to deal with that that was the first time that I learned about simple things like planting and meditation um and then she also talked to me about there being a different life for me Um, and so that was very empowering to start to have those conversations, um, in a very patient trauma informed way. So she would take me hiking or she would take me to do my laundry and actually physically show me how to do these things, um, Mm -hmm. versus just throwing a book at me or throwing a piece of paper at me and then me trying to figure it, figure life out on my own. Um, that was the first time that I had somebody really walk hand in hand with me, um, Mm -hmm. to show me a better way. Uh, outside of it and then obtaining my first time obtaining permanent housing I was able to get section 8 um, being on her caseload and that was having stable housing like plateaued me I never felt like I had to go back to the game once I got stable housing right that's powerful Mm -hmm. so in um, like from the time you were able to actually exit you know, safely with, you know, the, the plan in place until you were able to get into your own place, your own house. Um, how about how long was that process? Um, it took about two and a half, almost three years. Yeah. So in, in that time frame though, like you were working on, you know, mental health. Yeah. 
you know, you, you were working on your life skills. You were working on, um, you know, being present. Yeah. I enrolled in the college. I got a whole bunch of different, like I, when I say I drowned myself in programs, Mm -hmm. any program that she sent my way, I was like, yep, sign me up. I did any Mm -hmm. game. I did elevate Academy. I just wanted to know better. Like I knew I didn't have access and she was my, she was my resource book. Mm -hmm. Like she knew everything. And so I would go to her and like, this is what I want to do. This is my dream. This is where I want to go in life. And she would give me the tools to get there and it was just up to me to follow through um mm-hmm. and yeah it was very empowering very empowering mm-hmm. so good. and see I think that's one of those things that's so hopeful because we can see like from your early childhood that you are already a driven person that you know you have this huge ability to excel yeah and you know extremely difficult situations and um, you're very intelligent you, know, you you always were looking for how to escape that you know you were able to but you actively engaged in all of those things from stable housing what have you kind of done from that point uh, to now <laughs> it's like what have I not done um, <laughs> I am all over the place um, Once I hit stable housing, I just hit that ground running. Um, I went to school. um, I'm working on getting my electrical engineering degree. Um, I've connected other people who are coming from the game, uh, over 100 people with Section 8 vouchers. Um, I am actively boots on the ground in my community. Um, So I'm constantly doing outreaches, um, trying to just engage and give people the resources that were given to me. Um, because mm-hmm. I'm true, I'm a big believer, truly believer of um, paying it forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I do it all. I do speaking engagements. Now I train social workers. Um, mm-hmm. Whoever thought I would be doing that, training <laughs> social workers and probation officers. Um, and mm-hmm. the people who ultimately failed me in the system, now I'm giving them the resources so that they, they don't fail anyone else in the systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just taking care of myself. I have became the self-care expert. I will say mm-hmm. it. I, I spoil myself. I love the inner child that was in me that never got to get that love. Um, mm-hmm. And I really just hone in on just trying to excel as much as possible. Um, I've done conferences. I've done so many speaking events more than I can name um I'm on panels I'm on boards now um yeah I do it all I stay busy there's like not one thing that I won't do when it comes down to advocacy um as long as it's pushing the movement forward to end this crap like um I'm all for it for sure that's so valuable Yes, that really is. And, you know, it speaks to how big your heart is, too. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I am so excited because I have seen that you have launched your Free to Dream Big. 
Yay. Yay. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. So Free to Dream Big is all about outreach and connection. Um, once a month we go out to the streets and we go to popular blades, unpopular blades, uh, clubs. We go everywhere. Anywhere there's somebody who is actively in the game, we are trying to make that connection and just give better resources for those who may not know what's out there in the community that can help them. Um, I'm, I do believe that it's nobody's first choice to be in the lifestyle. That's not like somebody's in dream and like where they want to be and so finding out where people want where what are their real goals what is the big goal the end goal do you want to you know dream big as big as you want to dream there's no no such thing as impossible um and I feel like for the most part we've been told like you have to work that nine to five you need to go to be at McDonald's or you need to go be at Subway just because it's an income and we got to get out of that. We have to yeah. be able to provide people with livable wages, livable resources, and allow them to have those dreams. Our dreams get killed being in the game. And so um, it's time to dream big. So I Free to Dream Big is all about that. Once we make that connection with somebody who wants to get out of life or whatever um, whatever survival their mode they're in, um really trying to give them empower whatever dream that is for them um and then with that they get to learn how to do what I do if they want to tell their story that's um I want to empower people to do that and so we also give people a platform to do consultations or if they want to go do speaking events we teach them how to we feel strong enough in their stories um, and work through those moments and be able to say, you can tell what you want to tell and what you don't want to tell um, mm-hmm. and empowering those people so that they can tell their stories and, and get paid for it too. Cause yeah. that's a skill to have lived experience definitely needs to be at the forefront of every movement. And so, yeah, it's all about dreaming big. You, you are. It's literally what the title is. You are free <laughs> to dream as big as you want to dream. I love that. That's so amazing. Yes, that is wonderful. Excited. We want make, to make sure that people know how to connect to you. So, can you? Do you want to drop your website? Yeah. So, um, I. I am very easily accessible. Um, You can follow me on all social media platforms at Kia the President, because maybe one day I might run for president. Um, And then you can also go to my website, which has all the information on it, at www.freetodreambig.org. And yeah, you can reach me there as well. And that two is the number two, or is that T-O? Yes, it's the number two. Okay, so for that website, free to the number two, Dream Big. Yep, dot org. Dot org. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Well, I love that, and I do thank you so much for for being on the podcast. Do you have any questions for us? No, thank you guys for having (laughs) me. Uh, Such an honor, Zona. You know you are one of my faves, so... Mm -hmm. Thank you so, so much. And Dixie, I hope we get to meet soon. I hope so, too. It would be great. Join us for the 10th annual Dressember Style Challenge. Advocacy is better together, and we would love to have you on Team Bring Freedom. 
Wear a dress or tie every day during the month of December to raise awareness and funds to end human trafficking. Check the description box for more information. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoy hearing stories of persons with lived experience, please rate and review wherever you're listening to this podcast.